Before we begin Perak Bay's of Tanya, there were some really good questions that came up and some wonderful insights shared. Let's go through that before we jump into Perak Bay's. First, somebody asked again, isn't Tanya about serving Hashem and why are we trying to use this Sefer, such a holy Sefer, out of context? The Baal Tanya wrote this Sefer and he wrote about the Sefer that this Sefer is his attempt to provide all the answers to all the questions that were coming to him in Yechidus. I don't think there's any other author in the universe who has ever claimed to make such a, made such a bold attempt to offer all the answers to all the questions. Many of us think that emotional wellness is separate from our spiritual avodah Hashem, from our service of Hashem, from our spiritual development. But since our neshama is actually our, our spirituality, our, our soul, our neshama is part of who we are, we cannot separate our spiritual identity from our physical, emotional, psychological identity. It's the essence, it's the core, it's the driver of who we are. So that's why I've made this our goal here, because I know, and I'm sure many of you know, and I still recommend, highly recommend that if you are listening to Tanya for the first time, do not let this be your only be all and end all for the Sefer Tanya. Definitely go out and get Lessons in Tanya, the best translation and teaching of the actual text of the Tanya, Lessons in Tanya. It's available on Chabad.org in, um, on the website, as well as you can buy the Sefer, the book, from, from the web, through the website. Another very good resource that I mentioned last week is Rabbi Silverberg's discussions of Sefer Tanya. They are on our hotline. 718-307-1100. The entire Sefer Atanya is uploaded on our Energized Living Hotline, 718-307-1100. They are so wonderful. Rabbi Silverberg is a master teacher. Really, really excellent resource. I am not attempting to replace that. This is just an added layer. And if anything that I shared doesn't sit well with you, don't blame it on the Tanya. It's just me. Keep learning. Keep exploring. The Tanya is infinitely precious. A question that came up is, why are we canceling the word bad? If we cancel the word, aren't we losing clarity? I'm so happy that somebody asked this question because it tells me that maybe other people had it and it gives me the opportunity to clarify, no way, we are not canceling the word bad. We are giving it a specific definition because I know that when you think of the word bad, all kinds of interesting definitions come up in your mind, different pictures come up in your mind. As a matter of fact, I want to ask you, just think about it now. What comes up if I tell you you are bad? You are bad. What comes up for you? Some people might think they burnt the soup. Some people may think they left a mess in their, on their, they left the dishes in the sink. Some people might think they committed a crime. Some people might think they didn't make a person happy who wanted them to make them happy. There's so many different definitions for the word bad. And this, the Balatani's definition, by understanding a definition of the word bad, we're not canceling it at all. We're giving it a very clear definition that is so helpful and empower, empowering. And it's a different definition from the common understanding of the word. And I want to also clarify this. I had a little uh, email interaction conversation with a very intelligent woman, Yona Ginsburg. And I just want to share some of that with her permission. I'm actually going to read her email. 
last week we said that the Balatanya's definition, I was using the word connected and disconnected for the paradigm of good and bad, connected or disconnected. And I want to share that upon further thought, and thank you, Yona, for bringing this to my attention, this definition of connected and disconnected is actually inaccurate because the truth is we can never be disconnected from Hashem. And a more accurate definition would be unaware or unconscious of Hashem. So Yona shared with me, I understand that connection, disconnection are convenient words people relate to in a world of electrical appliances, internet, and cell phones, and that people have become habituated to using them, comfortable with using them, and unconcernedly superimposing them on our relationship with Hashem. However, when messaged over and over again, these words have the unintended consequence of a false sense of separateness and independence that is grossly misleading in terms of our true relationship with our creator and our source who is literally investing himself within us each instant. And she writes, she continues to write, what really helped me was the insight, the emotional integration of the objective truth that I can never disconnect from Hashem. I am never outside of his infinite oneness and I can never be outside no matter what, period. Because the truth is, ein oid movadai. Because my self-definition is, I am a chelek mamish, a finite expression, experience of the infinite Hashem. I thought this was, these words are just so, 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 so beautiful. And I, I, I thanked her for her insight, and I asked her if she thinks the words conscious and unconscious, or aware and unaware, is a better definition, because I realized that she had a really good point. Connected and disconnected is not an accurate definition of good and bad in the Baal language, but maybe it is aware and unaware, or conscious and, and, and unconscious. And, and she shared this. Um, she thought consciousness and unconsciousness works really well, as does awareness and unawareness. I use these words myself constantly. And here, here is another very nice insight, okay? She writes, problem is, unless people have an inkling about inner work and or meditation, I find that they don't grasp how to choose consciousness and what choosing a state of awareness looks like. She wrote, entails. This takes explanation and repetition because not everybody instantly gets it. Being mindful that different people learn and experience through different filters, I try to provide examples of alternative language to reach everyone in lieu of disconnection or connection language. Some people are visual learners, and ladies, the reason why I'm sharing this with everybody is because perhaps the word disconnection or connection doesn't work for you, and she shares so many different words that are all wonderful meanings, and I want, I want us all to have a broad understanding of what, what good or bad means in the Balatanya's paradigm. So here she shares. Some people are visual learners, so revealing concealing will work better for them to conceptualize the choice they can make, right? Like the sun's concealment on a cloudy day doesn't mean it isn't still there shining brightly above the clouds. Some people are kinesthetic learners, so the language that will help them to conceptualize the choice they can make is feeling versus numbing. Everyone who's gone to the dentist knows that even when the mouth has been numbed, 
teeth, gums, and tongue are still there. So feeling numbing. Some people are audio learners. So the language of amplifying or reducing, turning up the volume, turning down the volume, those are all really good words. The music is always there to listen to, despite if, if I reduce the sound, it doesn't make, this, make this, the music go away. It just makes the sound, my ability to hear it go away. All of us have had the, the experience of choosing to tune in or tune out, zone in, zone out. So that paradigm has better use or value than connection or disconnection. Okay, so that was that. Was that. Thank you so much, Yona Ginsberg. And I hope that everybody here, you got some words that ring well and work well for you. That is the Baltanius paradigm for good versus evil, the neck versus evil. And the next time you find yourself calling yourself bad labels or bad words or thinking about yourself in destructive, in self-hate, use your, hold up that label to the Baltanius paradigm of good versus bad. Hold it up to the paradigm of, is this an action, was this behavior unaware or aware of Hashem's presence? Was it turning up the volume? Was it turning down the volume? Was I zoned in? Was I zoned out? That is the reason why we need to have a paradigm so that we don't haphazardly distribute labels, negative labels on ourselves and, and other people. Okay, now here comes a very important question. How is our animal self different from our Yetzirah? I actually, different from or similar to our, our, our Yetzirah. I actually asked this question of my father a few years ago. I'm so happy that I asked this question so that I have clarity about it. I also looked it up in the Sefer of Tanya Hasidus Mubu Eres for, for further clarity. So, and I think in order to understand, it's very, very important because we use these, we, we use these words, um, we constantly exchange these words and they're not interchangeable. Our animal self, let's just review what our animal self is, what we learned last week. Our animal self is one of two completely different operating systems that drive us. And here are the clear facts we learned about last week, right? We said, what is it? It's mitzada klipa, the sitra achra. It's from the place of Hashem's hiddenness, and thus the potential, the Baal calls it klipa, the sitra achra, the potential lack for awareness, for lack of awareness of Hashem, the other side. Number two, where is it? It's in our blood, and it gives life to our bodies, right? It's in our blood, gives life to us. What impact does it have on us? The, the impact that it has on us is that the reason why we have any potential, any qualities that demonstrate our lack of consciousness, our lack of awareness, awareness our zoning out of Hashem's truth is because we have this potential inside of us. So it's a very big impact. And isn't there anything exciting and pleasant about our animal cells? Yes. First of all, the very nature of appeal, we called it appeal is that it protects and enables the fruit to be more tasty and fresh, as we discussed at length last week. And secondly, this self also includes our natural drive towards compassion and kindness. So even when we are unaware of Hashem, even when we are being driven by our animal self, by our human dimension, by our nefesh habahamis, 
Even in that state of unawareness, we are still driven to be kind and compassionate towards others. So where does our Yetzirah fit into all of this? Our animal self is an operating system. It's just a potential. It has the potential to be unaware of Hashem, and it also has the potential to be harnessed and transformed into awareness. Our Yetzirah is something entirely different. Our Yetzirah is the force within us that embraces our animal self and says, this is all there is. There is nothing else. And if you think about it for a minute, our Yetzirah, you know, none of us are bothered by the feelings of jealousy, the feelings of depression, the tendency, the inclination, the desire to, to tune out and just, you know, get, be lazy or carry resentment, be a grudges, whatever it is, none of us are hurt by those desires. Where we get hurt is, by, is when we act on those desires, is when we think that these desires are a be-all and end-all, that we must obey these, uh, these desires. A woman shared with me recently that she was suffering through postpartum depression and anxiety very, 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 very intensely, very, very severely, drastically. Her life was in danger. And she said the one thing that saved her life was knowing that there is something outside of this anxiety. There is me outside of this anxiety. This anxiety is an operating, it's part of an operating system inside of me. It's not me. Holding on to that awareness, holding on to the truth, allowing those feelings to be because it wasn't her and just Really, she said, it literally saved her life, um, and it helped her get through that. So our Yetzirah is the part of us, we're using that example of the anxiety, the Yetzirah is the part of us, the, op the anxiety would be coming from the Nefesh Bahamas, from that op operating system where there is a lack of awareness of Hashem's presence. But the Yetzirah, where the Yetzirah would come in, is the Yetzirah would say, this is all there is. It's not just that there's a lack of awareness. This is not a illness. This is who you are. This is all, all that you are and everything that you are. And you'll never be able to change. You'll never be able to get out of this. So our Yetzirah is on our inclination to embrace our animal self as our only self. To em embrace our, our behaviors, our qualities, our emotions that come from a state of this lack of awareness of Hashem's presence and say that is the truth that is who you really are and to engage in our lives from that position of unconsciousness from that position of being totally unaware and and zoned out our Yetzirah is not just a potential to become unaware of Hashem it's an active force of distraction and delusion it operates as if Hashem and our Neshama do not exist and the reason why I'm spending so much time on this is because we're going to be learning more about our Nefesh Bahamas, and we're, we're, we're learning about our inner selves. And in order to be able to do, work, to do the work and fight the inner fight, win the battles in, that take place in the recesses of our minds and hearts, we need to know the players. In order to know how to play the game, we need to know the players. So our Yetzirah is one player, our Nefesh Bahamas, our animal self, is another player. In the most simplest words, 
our Nefesh Bahamas is the potential for disconnection and the Yetzirah is the drive of distraction and delusion for, that, that drives us to be stuck within that state of non-awareness or unconsciousness. And our Yetzirah is also our ego. Many people translate the Nefesh Bahamas as our ego. So again, it's not actually our ego because it's potential to be harnessed for something so great for real deep, profound, energetic, passionate awareness of Hashem. It's not our ego. When we learn about Hashem, so what is our ego? Let's take a moment to discuss this. And we've talked about this at length in so many different opportunities, but let's just bring it in here. Our Sahara is our ego. Why? Because when we learn about our neshama, which we will be doing in a couple of minutes today, when we learn about our, our neshama, which is an actual part of Hashem within us, we recognize that this, our neshama, is two things. First of all, it's our innermost true self. It's our identity because it's so precious. Just like a diamond, when you put a diamond onto a gold ring, it changes the nature of the ring. It's no longer a gold ring. It's no longer a ring with a diamond. It's a diamond ring. Why? Because the diamond's value is so much more precious relatively to the gold. We don't call it a, a ring that has a diamond on it. We identify it by a diamond. So how much more so, if we, we, look, we know Hashem's preciousness, we know Hashem's value, we know Hashem's awesomeness, the fact that there's an actual part of Hashem within us is worth more and means more and is more definitive than anything else about us. So that's number one. Our, the part of Hashem within us, our neshama, gives us our true self, our true identity. And it also gives us our unconditional, absolute, unstoppable value. So it gives us our identity and it gives us our value our self-worth. Now, these two things, identity and self-value, are essential needs. Every person, we need to know who we are. We need to know that we matter. We need to know that we make a difference. We need to know that we count, that we're worth something, that we, that we belong. These are essential human needs. Now, our Yesahara, which is our drive towards distraction from Hashem, does not acknowledge our true self. From the perspective of our Yesahara, there is no true self. There is no true value. Because from that perspective, the Yetzirah operates as if Chas V'Shalom Hashem does not exist. As if Chas V'Shalom, our Neshama doesn't exist. Or, or as if Hashem exists, but he's irrelevant. He doesn't matter. He doesn't make a difference in the practical reality. And the same with our Neshama. Yeah, you have a Neshama, but what practical relevance does it have? It's a theory. It's a nice idea. Doesn't make any difference to your kitchen sink. Doesn't make any difference to your marriage, to your parenting, to your life. So it's only, so because the Yetzirah has this perspective, has this attitude, our Yetzirah needs to invent an identity and invent a sense of personal value. And that invention is our ego. An ego is an invented self that we develop in place of having ownership and connection with awareness of tuning into our true self. When we lose sight of our true self, we develop a non-true self, an invented self, a fake self, and that is our ego. And our ego will always be as strong 
as our lack of our awareness of our core identity and values. To the extent that we don't have awareness of our true values, that's how strong our ego will be. And of course, the stronger our ego is, the more fragile and sensitive to destruction it is. Think about it. The, if you have a balloon and you're blowing it up, the bigger it is, the easier it is for it to pop. The more sensitive it becomes, the less resilient it is. So the greater imagination that we have, the greater, dis, the greater lack of awareness, the greater we lose, the more we lose sight of our true identity and our true value, the more we need an ego, the more we invent an ego, and the more fragile our ego is. Okay, so that was all from last week in an introduction to this week. And now we're into chapter two. In this chapter, we meet our second operating system, our second driver, our second nefesh, our second soul and self. Our second self is an actual part of Hashem. This is our nefesh elekis, our godly self, or what we commonly refer to as our neshama. Now, the first question that many people have when we look at this parak is, if it's part of Hashem, why does the Baal Tanya refer to it as our second self? Nefesh Hashem is the Israel. It's our second self. And the answer is because, first of all, our animal self is our instinctive self. This is what we get first. This is what we get for free. This is what we get. This is what we access more easily. In other words, if we're not invent, investing any effort in zoning in, in tuning into Hashem's to awareness of Hashem, in listening to the reality of Hashem's truth, whenever we're not doing that, our default setting is our animal self, our nefesh Bahamas, our lack of awareness. And that's why it's referred to as our first. Another reason, which is very inspiring, is that the ultimate purpose of our existence, the greatest expression and desire of our neshama, is to harness the energy of the animal self and transform it into a state of conscious awareness of Hashem. And from this perspective, our neshama is secondary to our animal self, which is linked with our ultimate purpose. If the purpose of my, right, you have salad and then you have dressing. The purpose of the dressing is to make the salad taste better. So what's the ultimate purpose? What's the, what's the most important part? It's the salad, not the dressing, right? Some people take a lot of, uh, my kids, they take a lot of soup croutons. And it's like, they're not having soup with croutons. They're having croutons with soup, right? But so our Nefesh Bahamas, we tend to think of it as our, dis, like our, our, our secondary self because it's not our best self. It's not our awesome self. It's our potential for, dis, for distraction, for for being unaware of Hashem. Do you notice that I keep saying this, this, because I'm so used to using the word disconnected, but I am working on it because I really, I really agree with her that it is a, a, not an ideal word to use. Okay, so, so our, we think of our Nefesh Bahamas as the potential for bad, the potential for lack of awareness, and therefore, we think it should be, it should be secondary on our list of importance. But the truth is, that it is from the state of klipa. Klipa means a shell. And from this perspective, the importance that it has, the value that it has, the potential that it has, is actually take, takes our neshama to places 
where our neshama itself cannot go. It can take us further ahead than our neshama, than our neshama. and it's the ultimate purpose of why we are here in this world, and that's why it is the first where our neshama, with all its awesomeness, with all its importance and significance and essential identity of who we are, it's secondary to our, to the purpose of our nefesh habahamis, our animal self. Now, most of this chapter, most of this parakintanya, we're not doing inside. Hashem is indescribable. Words, by definition, words give shape and value and color and measurement to an idea. Words are beautiful in that way. And at the same time, words limit because the very fact that you give a word to it, you give a definition, means it has a definition. It has a limitation. So the truth is that Hashem is indescribable in words. And similarly, our neshama, the awesomeness of our neshama is indescribable in words. So what the Baal Tanya does is he gives us a couple of analogies to describe our neshama's connection with Hashem's essence. And from there, we can understand and appreciate the awesomeness of who we are. So what is our neshama? What is our neshama? It's It's an actual part of Hashem. And what does this mean? If you look around the world, we know that all of creation emanates from Hashem. There's nothing that could possibly exist without Hashem's fueling and invigorating, animating its existence. So what do we mean when we say we are an actual part of Hashem? Isn't the entire world a part of Hashem? Don't we say, there is nothing outside of Hashem's presence? So the Baal Tanya explains this in different ways. One of the things that I want to share is that he uses the analogy of blowing versus speaking. We know that Hashem created the world with speech. Right? Let there be light, and light was created. The whole world was created through speech. Yisrael, the neshama, our neshama was created, developed in Hashem's thought. What's the difference between speech and thought? And what's the difference between blowing and speaking? So first, blowing and speaking. Blowing, we know that when you speak, most of us speak from up here. We speak from our chest, from our outermost parts of our, of our, of our inner selves. When we blow, we're blowing from a very deep place inside of us. The words that the, that the Torah used to describe Hashem's investing a soul into Adam HaRishan, Adam, was Anchava, is Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmatayim, and he blew into his nostrils a soul of life. And this is not just true for Adam. Adam was the original man. This is not just true for Adam. This is Adam before the Chet Eitzadas, before the sin of the tree, the forbidden, forbidden tree. And we say this in davening, every single day, we acknowledge and affirm. And this was written by our, by Anshe Knesset Hagedela, our this tefillah was written by Anshe Knesset Hagedela, affirming that Hashem blowing a soul into Adam is what Hashem does for each and every single one of us. Our soul 
comes from a deep place inside of Hashem. It's not just speech. It's a deeper place inside of Hashem. And the Baal Tanya gives a further explanation of what that means. And he says it's the difference between thought and thought and speech. When you have an idea in your mind, or when you have a very strong emotion in your heart, many times that idea is so big, it's so involving, it's so intense, it's so broad, you have a hard time expressing it in words. Once you express it in words, it's outside of yourself. But until you express it in words, it's inside of yourself. And it's the connection between the idea and your thoughts and the idea and your words is much more distant. Think about your connection with your thoughts. Your thoughts happen between you and you. It's very private, very personal, very intimate. Nobody else is aware of it. And it's so deep that it's, it's, it's deep within you. It's, it's buried within you. Now, when you express that in words, it's born into the world. It's outside of you. There's a certain separation. You can never take the words back. Once you release them into the universe, you can't take it back. There's a certain separation that exists between my words and me. They're separate from me. I no longer have power over them. They became an entity. They're a, they have a life of their own. They're out there. They can hurt. They can build. They can create. But they're not. I don't have any more power over, the, over those words. Hashem wanted the world to experience a separate, a sense of independence, a sense of the possibility for as if we could disconnect, a sense, the possibility for lack of awareness. If we would exist on the, on the level of thought within Hashem, we would never, never experience ourselves as something separate from Hashem. We would be, we would always experience our absolute oneness our absolute attachment, our, our bond with Hashem. But the fact that Hashem created the world, including our bodies, through speech means that we can have this, this sense of independence. We, we can, we, potential, we have the potential to experience ourselves as if we are davar nifrad vifnei asmai in the Baal Tanya's words, as if we are something separate, independent of Hashem. And that's obviously not the truth. It's only our experience, our, possibility, our possible experience of the truth. Because the truth is, we can never be disconnected. And Hashem's words are different than our words. Hashem's words, He does have control over. He does have an absolute connection with. He is perfectly connected. To every single part of creation, there is no blade of grass that doesn't have a direct spiritual energy invigorating it, animating it, and allowing it to exist in every moment, in every millisecond of time. So that's, that's our connection with Hashem. And that's, so our neshama is one with Hashem. And in essence, our neshama, the essence of our neshama, has no possibility for even a sense of separateness, it feels constantly at the core of our neshama. We are one with Hashem and we have absolute clarity about that. And there's no room for doubt. There's no room. There's no even, there's not even any potential for lack of awareness. There's a constant state of awareness. 
because it's a live, active bond. To use an example, it's like when the sun is shining, we used this last week, when the sun is shining, it's impossible to doubt that the sun could shine. You see it in front of your eyes. It, it's, it's, it's a living, breathing, clear reality. You can't make a mistake about it. It's only at night or it's only on a cloudy day that maybe there's a possibility for us to doubt, will the sun ever shine again? Will the birds chirp? Will, there, will, there, will, the, will the skies clear of the clouds? And that's true on an emotional level as well, right? We, we, there's a part of us that has absolute clarity and no doubt. It's as if we're standing in front of the shining sun. We're standing in front of Hashem's exposed, revealed, absolute, clear, absolutely clear presence. We have no doubt that he exists. We have no doubt that he, he is the source of our existence. We have no doubt that we are connected, we are one, and that we have that value, dignity, the worthiness, and the unstoppable empowerment that is our birthright because of that connection and because of that oneness that we have. And then we have our bodies, and we have our Nefesh Bahamas, and we have the rest of the world that was created also, also Hashem is connected, but there's a possibility for that lack of awareness. There's a possibility for a state of unconsciousness. There's a possibility for us to forget, to tune out, to stop hearing the music of the truth of Hashem's presence. Okay, let's stop a minute for questions and then we will continue. Here's the, the, the game of life. And the game of creation, the name of the game is as follows, okay? Hashem wants to be known and wanted despite the possibility for us to forget about him. He wants to be chosen. He wants us to crown him as our king. So he created this cover-up. He hid himself in this world and created the possibility for unconsciousness. So that we ourselves will choose a state of consciousness. He covered up his light so that we will remove the cover and expose his light from the place of darkness. And the, and the light that shines despite the darkness is much, much more precious to Hashem. This is what Hashem wants. The light that shines despite the darkness, despite the possibility for darkness. So connecting that to the question that you said is that, that you just presented is this. Essentially, Hashem is everywhere equally. Hashem is no more present in heaven than he is on earth. We think of, you know, the angels as the place of the angels in heaven. Everything is clear. Hashem is in the heavens. Hashem is no more in the heavens than he is on earth. The only difference is his exposure. The only difference is in this world, there's a, there's a huge, massive curtain blocking, obstructing our view. There's, there's soundproof walls sometimes that we need to break through, that we have broken through already because we all can hear Hashem today. And that's why we're so close to the Geula. We're so close to that time when the world, when the walls, the final curtains and those soundproof walls and the invisible, the darkening curtains are being totally, they're, they're being pulled away. 
we're all in a state of much globally, collectively, we're in a state of much, much more consciousness. So there's truth, and then there's our experience of the truth. The truth is Hashem is no more present in heaven than in earth. The truth is Hashem exists everywhere. The truth is we are absolutely connected with Hashem no matter where, what, when, or how. The truth is our, the part of Hashem within us is active and alert and awake. Even when we are not conscious of our connection with Hashem, even when we are not conscious of our neshama, our neshama is awake. Our heart is awake and alert to the truth. So there's truth, and then there's our experience of the truth. And the truth is absolute connection, impossibility for dis disconnection. Our experience of the truth is Hashem created the possibility for distraction from the truth. Hashem created the possibility for lack of awareness of the truth so that we will come to experience and discover the truth on our own. So that we will choose this truth for ourselves. It will be a conscious choice. I want Hashem in my life. I need Hashem in my life. I know I am recognizing that Hashem is my life force, my life source. And it would not be a choice if we didn't have the possibility for the opposite. We're eliminating, we have, we're, we're canceling the word disconnect. But the state of unconsciousness, the possibility, the thought that we could possibly disconnect is an illusion of the Sahara. And that's the, we'll, discuss, we'll, we'll experience that later on in a couple of more chapters down the road when we, when we learn more about the Nefesh Bahamas, about our animal self. And the Yetzirah tells us two reasons why we should do an Avera. Number one is, it doesn't matter. Number two, you don't matter. So, but we will get there. And that's, and that's a spirit of folly. Yes, that's a, dis, that's a foolishness. That's, a, that's buying into the lie of Hashem's hiddenness. But we will get there in a couple of weeks in Es Hashem. What's the point of that? That seems so interesting. Why does Hashem cover himself just for us to uncover him? We don't understand Hashem, but this we know is his, this is what we are taught. The reason why Hashem did this is because he specifically delights in the light that is born out of the possibility for darkness and out of the possibility for, for disillusionment. Let's continue. By the way, this I left out before. Um, what is the difference, just, just to keep in mind, and this is just, um, this was inspiring for me, so maybe it will be inspiring for you. If you think about it, the connection between our neshama and Hashem, between us and Hashem, is from a level of thought, like we said before, it's a profound inner connection where there is no possibility for, for disconnection ever and for lack of awareness. Sorry, I uh, used that, that the word, the this word. <laughs> Even Malachim, all the angels are created from a level of speech. The only creation in this world that is that has this bond with Hashem is a, a soul, a neshama. We are so so blessed to to have that, to have that connection. Our connection, you know, you think about angels as being so holy and so elevated and so lofty, exalted. Our neshama is much, much more connected with Hashem. We are a total deep, a deeper, a deeper relationship, a more profound bond we have with Hashem than even the angels. Um, on page three, 
this explains, the Baal Tanya continues, why Hashem calls us his children, Banim Atem Lashem Elekechem, or Bani Bechari Yisrael. We are Hashem's children. The unique quality of this relationship with Hashem is that it's unbreakable. There's no possibility for divorce between parents and children. Even when a child is separate, even though a child experiences himself as a separate being from his parents, and the child is actually a separate being from his parents, but the child has no, there's no genetic, um, the, the, the DNA comes directly from the parents. And, and it's very interesting because a parent could have, you know, for those of you who are good in biology, which I am not, there's no such thing as, there's no part of a child, no quality in a child that is not coming directly from the parents. Even when it's not, even when it's not experienced and seen on the outside. The bond between parent and child is very profound. But again, this is only a muscle. The bond between uh, Nishama and Hashem is even more, more intimate, more deep, more one than the bond between a parent and child because the actual thing is that the, the truth is that a child becomes a separate being and we, our Nishama never ever becomes a separate being from Hashem. The reason why we use this analogy is because it's the greatest connection that there is on earth. But the bond between us and Hashem is even more intimate than the bond between a parent and child. And another reason why we use this analogy is because we know that there's different levels of neshamas, which I'll explain in a, in a minute what that is. There are some, we, we, you, you've probably heard, this is a high neshama, this is a lower neshama. What does that mean? What is that terminology? So first is that just like in a child, there are different parts of the child's body. There's the toenail, there's the head, there's the facial features, there's other parts of the body, right? Every, every single part of the child originates in the essence and the, and the source of the father and the mother. Every, every single part of the child comes from the father. So too, every neshama, every single Jewish soul comes from Hashem. That is our essence. That, are, that is our source. And there's no generation that's too distant from Hashem. And there's no person, there's no individual that is too, that, that's distant from Hashem. Every single one of us comes from the same exact source and essentially is one with Hashem. So what does it mean, low neshamas, high neshamas? We were differentiating between truth and our experience of the truth. So we're going to use that paradigm to understand and um, to gain more clarity about the language that is commonly used high neshamas, lower neshamas, or as some of you may be familiar with, we know that in, in Torah literature, the later generations are called, quote-unquote, lower generations. There's a concept called Yerida Hadaris, a descent of generations, where the later generations, the, the further generations, like our generation is, so to speak, the words that are used is Yerida. There's a descent from previous generations from the Tana and Amara'im and Rishayim, right? There's a descent in their, in their generation. So what does that mean? 
So we'll use that, that, that paradigm that we said before, the truth and our experience of the truth. So the truth is every neshama is, has the same essence and the same source. But as a neshama makes its way into this world, Hashem needs that neshama to experience itself as if it is an identity onto itself. Because from that state of absolute oneness, we as human beings would never have a choice. We would always, we would never have a choice to choose lack of awareness. We would never have a choice to really choose a conscious connection or to consciously connect from a place of, of truth, from the place of possibility for the opposite choice. So Hashem needs our neshama to be, I'm going to use the word desensitized to, to, to its oneness with Hashem. So the neshama goes through a process, which in Arizal's writings and in different Kabbalah, Kabbalah literature is called simsum, which is a descent through different worlds. And what, what these worlds mean, you're, you might be familiar with Atila, Bria, Yetira, Asiya, the world of emanation, the world of creation, formation, right? There's different worlds. And these worlds, when I was little, I thought they were locations. I thought it was like a ladder. I envisioned, that was the vision, that was the picture that I had in my mind is a ladder. Now I understand the truth that they all exist within the same inch of space. They are only different states of consciousness. Each, wor each world is a different state of consciousness. So it's like if you have that big light and you put one layer of curtains over it, another layer of curtains over it, and another layer of curtains over it, that is the journey that our neshama takes into this world. As it comes from Hashem's essence, Hashem needs it to, to, also be, to, to experience itself as somewhat of its own identity, of a separate being. The Baal language is yesh misha ahib. There's an existence that loves Hashem. There's a being, there's an entity, there's a, there's a thing that loves Hashem. That means it's not Hashem loves Hashem, it's I love Hashem. There's an I. There's a past, there's a, there's even a spiritual ego from that perspective because there's a sense of self that is not really separate from Hashem, but experiences itself as separate from Hashem. Even our spiritual self, even our neshama is impacted in that way. So different neshamas are, have different, different experiences of that desensitization process. Again, the, diff the reason there, there is no such thing as a higher neshama and a lower neshama in the sense of, oh, this one comes from the top of the tree, this one comes from the bottom, uh, bottom of the tree. It's not a location. It's a state of consciousness and a state of awareness where when we say a higher neshama, we mean a neshama that's more sensitive, more aware. There are less layers covering its awareness of Hashem's truth and of Hashem's presence and of its truth. Where a lower neshama means not a location height, but a lower neshama, a lower neshama means a neshama that has more layers of sound obstructing its ability to, real, to, to connect to the truth. There's more layers of desensitization as it comes into this world. Because of this fact that there are layers covering up our neshama, and our neshama, at the end of the day, experiences itself even as, even our neshama 
might experience itself as something separate from Hashem, we need to feed our neshama. We need to take action to keep our neshama awake and alert to the truth. And this, the Baal Tanya mentions right in chapter two, which is the beginning of Tanya. And it's so fundamental. He says, we need a connection with tzaddikim. The reason is because tzaddikim have absolute spiritual sensitivity, absolute clarity of Hashem's truth. And by us connecting with tzaddikim, we develop that mindset. I wrote about this in the book that learning the Baal Tanya's writings was like trying on his pair of glasses, the lenses through which he saw the world, through the lenses through which he saw me. And by me putting on those glasses, I was able to see myself and the world from a place of truth, from a place of his, from his perspective of truth, which is much more clear, much more radiant. There's no obstruction. There's a complete, absolute sensitivity and absorption forever for a tzaddik. And that's why we want to be connected with tzaddikim. And we could connect by learning. Primarily, we connect with learning the, their writings, learning their teachings, and following their ways. Now, there's one other very interesting thing, then we'll, this with, we'll conclude. Um, there's a role of parents in, in the evolution or in the, not, I don't want to use the word evolution. There's a role that parents play, a very important role that parents play in the nature of a Jewish soul. And that is, it's written about at length in Kabbalah literature. And that is that the parents' awareness of Hashem's presence during intimacy Put it this way, the final layer, the final uh, covering, the, like as the neshama is coming from Hashem into our bodies, there's every world, Atilas, Bria, Yetzirah, not, not Atilas because we don't come from Atilas, we come from Bria, we originate in Bria, right? There's a layer, uh, a curtain, a garment, so to speak, that the neshama gets to wear. For, for tzaddikim or more spiritually sensitive souls, those garments are very thin. For some of us, it's a fur coat, <laughs> you know. For, so there are layers of garments of clothing. The final garment, the final layer that the neshama gets to wear comes directly from the parents. Now, this garment does not change anything about the soul. It doesn't change the nature of the soul. In fact, it doesn't even change the quality of the soul's spiritual sensitivity. But it is still a layer through which the Baal Tanya says two things. Number one, all the, all the, all the neshamas, the neshamas activation is going to happen through this layer. In other words, a, the child's experience of his neshama is going to happen through that layer number one, and number two, the spiritual energy, Hashem's support, Hashem's cheering us on and helping us stay alert and, and aware and tuned into his truth is also going to come through that garment. So it's a very, very important thing. We want, and that, that, that garment, its thickness or its thinness, its quality depends on how spiritually aware, how 
conscious, the parents are during intimacy of Hashem's truth, of Hashem's presence. So this is a huge deal. Um, as parents, my own thought on this is that as parents, we want to give our children the best opportunities in life. And we do not want to expose our children to drugs or alcohol in utero. And the best, from a spiritual perspective, the healthiest, most transparent layer of clothing that we could give them is by engaging in intimacy with a consciousness of Hashem's presence. That means following the Paras HaMashpacha, using a mikvah, um, etc. And in the, in the moment of intimacy, being aware of Hashem's truth. As children, um, this is, I hear this all the time. What if my parents, what if someone's parents did not give them a healthy layer of clothing, right? The healthy, so wh wh why is this fear? How is this, it's not fear. I started off as a, at, a, at a disadvantage. How, how could it even be, like it's, it just seems so upsetting. So first of all, it's good to know for ourselves that parents can also have a positive impact on our children even after their birth. But more than that, the layer from parents is a reality, it's true, but it's for sure not the be all and end all. And, you know, when many from, we're, we're very, we're enmeshed in our culture where everything is measured by results. <laughs> Everything is measured by, you know, where are you? Are you at level number one? Are you at level number two? Everything is measured as if there's a hierarchy, as if we all have the same mountain to climb. And we are measuring ourselves by that same mountain. And the truth is, every single one of us has our own mountain to climb. From the perspective of, we, we spoke about before, that Hashem wants to be exposed in this world. Hashem wants to be chosen. Hashem wants to be wanted, despite the possibility for disconnection. And the, the, despite the possibility for lack of awareness, for unconsciousness. So our state of unconsciousness is not inherently a bad thing. It just means we have a different kind of mountain to climb. We Hashem, wherever we are in our lives means Hashem needs us there. Hashem, Hashem needs this level of light. And if you think about it, the greater the concealment, the greater the concealment or the greater the possibility for lack of awareness, the greater the light that's born when, if you don't have that layer, if you know for a fact that your parents were not even aware of Hashem at all at the time of your conception, then that's not a reason that there's no no sweat. It's exactly the space that Hashem needed you to elevate and demonstrate his presence. And the light that you're going to create is obviously much, much stronger, much more brilliant, much more radiant if you actually go ahead and make that choice to choose Hashem, to become aware of Hashem, to choose a state of consciousness. Your light is so much more precious than the light that comes easily because if the whole purpose of the world is the light that comes from darkness then the greater the darkness or the greater the potential for darkness the greater value that light has that comes from that very space i hope that that was just one more thought the Baal Tanya starts off in the introduction of tanya he said that this safer will answer all the questions to all the problems 
So I want to visualize this. If I came to the Balatanya and I said, I have a problem. My problem is I am very anxious. I tend to get anxious. I also get, tend to get depressed. Or my problem is I am so lazy. It is so hard for me to get anything done. My problem is I am so all over the place. It's so hard for me to focus. I have ADHD. I can't zoom my energy. I can't, I can't focus on any given task for an extended period of time. It's so hard for me. What should I do? So Perak Alice, and, and the list goes on because the Baal Tanya is talking to each and every one of us. I am using specific examples. I want to use the example of OCD because I know that there's a few people in our group who struggle with this. So yeah, I have comp obsessive compulsive disorder. I obsessively, I have this terrible fear of not being good enough, of not being, of, of not doing what I need to do, of being unclean, unpure in, in Hashem or I have in Hashem's eyes, or I have obsessive compulsive thoughts, or I struggle with overeating. You know, every one of us has stuff that, that, um, that gets in our way of consciously living with Hashem's presence, of being consciously aware of Hashem's presence and of the value and dignity that each of us has just by virtue of being. We all lose consciousness of that. So we come to the Balatanya with all the kinds of problems, with ADHD, anxiety, depression. What's the first thing the Balatanya tells us? The first thing the Balatanya tells us is he's not, he's not, he's not freaking out. He's like, okay, you mean you're human? Okay. You mean you have, oh, oh, just by the way, I want you to know that this, what you're telling me, I'm not surprised. And, and you don't have to be, you don't, don't be worried about it. it. There's no shame in having this struggle. There's no shame in what appears to be this obstacle in your, in your service of Hashem, in your ability to live with dignity, courage, and compassion in your day-to-day -day life. Don't worry about it. It's actually, you're wired that way. Hashem made you this way. Hashem formed you with a nefesh habahamis. Don't, don't label yourself bad, okay? Don't label, don't label yourself evil. You have this potential for disconnection inside of you, for, for lack of awareness inside of you. You have this because Hashem is hidden and because there's a, it's, it's appeal. It's hidden for a purpose, but sometimes we get stuck in that hiddenness and we forget the purpose. So don't worry about it. That was chapter one. Chapter two, he says, because we come back the next week and we're like, you know, it's very nice not to worry about it, but what do I do next? What do I do with that? He says, well, I want you to know that all, that what you told me about, all that behavior, it's true and it's meaning it exists and it's coming from a real active life force inside of you. There's a reason it's there. Now, now the next thing you need to know is that you have, at the core of you be, your being, you have something that is so much more powerful, that is so much more alive, that is so much more true of who you are. And I want you to get to know that. That part of you is an actual part of Hashem. And through the rest of the Tanya, our work together is going to be to engage in our lives from the place of our neshama, from the truth and the dignity and the worthiness and the beauty and the awesome value 
of our neshama while not burying or disconnecting, not disconnecting, not, we're not going to deny, we're not going to escape or avoid dealing with all our messy stuff. We're going to deal with it all. We're going to deal with it from the place of our essential self.